Hi, it's the TX Water Polo Podcast. I'm James Smith in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Joe Linehan is still in North Texas. So what's going on, Joe? Not much. How are you doing up in New Mexico? It's, uh, you know, humidity is very low up here. It's your favorite discussion is weather. So I figured I would go down that, that route. Is it? But it's absolutely lovely. I don't think my favorite discussion is weather, but that's okay. <laughs> It's like you love talking about weather. It's your favorite thing. Okay, I'm I I, I am younger than eighty years old, so no. So. <laughs> yeah, no, we you know we got out of town apparently at the right time because I guess Austin. You tell me, like apparently Texas is just covered in Sahara dust, so we're we we got out of town. Apparently, this happens every year too. I know, but it's worse. Apparently, that's what I've been told. I never had heard about the Sahara dust storm before. Now it's just everything is off the charts. Yeah. Like pandemic, everything is exactly. Huge. So exactly. Swarm of locusts next, you know, something like that. That's Wasn't funny. it the murder hornet or something like that? Yeah, I was telling my daughter Kenna, she's sixteen. I was like, you don't understand. In the seventies, we were all going to die because of killer bees. Like everyone was going to be killed, and oh, yeah. uh, you know. These things come and go. Yeah. That was the 80s as well. So. Was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I suppose it was. So I don't little, remember the 70s. A little, little, <laughs> little older than you, Joe. Yeah. We don't have to dwell on that. Um, all right. Uh, let's start by saying that the Best of Texas tournament is still ongoing, and you want to know why? Because you why. forgot to post it. Because I forgot <laughs> to post it. So, so the uh, the finals, which are pretty straightforward, will be up soon. But uh, they have not been posted for this last week. Um, what can I say, man? I've been busy. So <laughs> no, I just match- screwed up. So let's review the matchups real quick. Yeah. Okay. So on the boys' side, it is Clear Lake High School versus yeah. versus yeah versus St. Marks. Right, right, right. And girls. I believe it's Clark High School versus Baytown Sterling. There you go. So, yep, those will be up soon. I mean, couldn't be an easier vote, could it? You know, get out there and vote, people, please. This is uh, we we will not ask you to vote anymore after this. We promise. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of fatigue, I think, but still, it's important and interesting to know, you know, who people think are basically the best program in the state, and uh, the competition's been really fun. So, yep, one more week. We'll we'll finish it up next week, So, um, and that'll come out on Twitter and so on uh, pretty soon. So there you go. Um, so that's my mea culpa, but uh, on to more, I suppose, serious stuff. You know, COVID is spiking in our state. I think it's having an effect on some, you know, the very little water polo that's going on. I know that uh, personally for my club, I'm getting um, a lot of contact about whether our kids will be forced to wear masks in the pool, and uh, they won't. Um, In fact, I would – if we were forced to do that, I would actually probably just suspend practices. It's just not feasible. It doesn't really work. Um, That's my own position, but again, we're really out on the bleeding edge of, 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 frankly, the entire country. Like, we're able to practice as long as we don't have any physical contact so and you know we go through all the other rules and the protocols and so on but we're we're still on as far as i know but as far as uh, other clubs in the state that might not be the case yeah i mean there's i mean i do know there's some clubs that are looking to start uh, next week in north texas um there's some other clubs kind of looking to start in mid-july hopefully we get there and we aren't sh- like you know we don't get shut down the athletics etc because that just seems to where the like the numbers are trending yeah. so we're we are keeping our fingers crossed that everybody stays safe and you know we can um we 
we can get in the water and uh, and those clubs can uh, start practicing. But there was a club that is practicing that unfortunately had a COVID case amongst their athletes and they decided to shut down for the next two oh, weeks. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. So, and I mean, that's just, that was probably the safe and prudent thing to do. Of course. I didn't know that detail, Joe, that somebody actually caught it. So yeah, that's, that makes a huge difference. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, I believe everybody, all the clubs, the club admins, the, uh, the coaches, the safety of the athletes and coaches are at the forefront. Yeah. You know, yes, everybody wants to get back in, but it's, but it's, but we want to get back in in a responsible manner. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, we're again, we're terribly, terribly fortunate in that regard. But I have already told my athletes, like, we got to be ready for anything, and that means shutting down. We'll go back to our Zoom schedule. All of that. So this is not uh, I suppose it's not unexpected and it's happening in most places or many places across the whole country. So, um, yeah, we're 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 stuck with this for a while, I suppose. Right. Um, we will see. We will yeah. see. I just uh, I, I just think we all just have to just hope for the best. Yeah. You know, and uh, um, and hope is not a strategy. I know I've, I have said that before, but I no, think that's, that's a good one. And I think that hope is all we have right now. So. Some hope. Yeah. I'm a bit pessimistic, as you know. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm worried about Junior Olympics. I really don't. I mean, it's it's a f- long way out still. We have many months left. But given the way that this thing is is um, spiking and is not entirely predictable and oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm worried about it. But, you know, such is life. There you go. Yeah, and these type of decisions, I'm just hoping that we can maybe start something up in August. And we even before we get to that, we have the Welcome to Texas shootout in San Antonio, you know, the ODP camps in September, October. So there's a lot even before the Junior Olympics. So we are hoping again, but we do not know and we are not necessarily making these decisions. So, As I said uh, in the town hall last week, um, you know, the hurdle as far as I'm concerned is body contact. Like unless you've got that, then you've really got no I don't know what you have. You know, you have uh, ultimate Frisbee tournaments in the pool, but basically, and I'm not uh, downplaying that, by the way, those are fun, but it's just not the same. So that's the key. Like once we can establish body contact, then uh, then things will be sort of back to normal. Yeah. And there is, um, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. I, I was talking to some coaches over the last couple of days, and there is some uh, water pole with scrimmaging in Ohio right now. With body contact. With body contact, they did it for about a week, and then there's some athletes that it was a rise in the athletes, and not necessarily for water polo, but in football and basketball. So then they decided to kind of, kind of, uh, kind of hit the brakes, and they went yeah. back to no contact again. Right, I get that. Yeah, I don't think we're even close to get, having, you know, that chance, and that's fine with me. I understand. I understand why that would be. But so. my niece played in a softball tournament two weeks ago. Well, I, you know, I guess the difference is in for a sport like baseball is like you're not really very close to people all the time or you don't have to be. So I can understand that. Like like a naturally social distancing sport. Right. Exactly. It's there's a study that came out of Italy right when things were at their worst, when things were getting shut down about the safety of different sports. And, you know, the sports like swimming and running and all of that were by far the safest for obvious reasons. And then. You start getting into the sports where they're spread out or where they're in chlorinated water. And so water polo was that next tier of, you know, most safe, not to say safe, just most safe of uh, of any of the sports. So, 
yeah, you could totally understand them. It's like, how about wrestling? That would be no. You know, that's like nothing but body contact. Yeah. All right. Uh, there's a lot going on in the next couple of months, really, on uh, town halls and coaches to coaches uh, that uh, uh, the Southwest Zone is hosting online. Um, why don't you uh, fill us in on some of the really key events that are coming up? Not really the next couple of months, just the next couple of weeks or the next few weeks. Through the end of July, we are. We did restart last week the coach to coaches and town hall meetings. Again, the town hall meetings are on Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m., uh, and then the coach to coaches are 12:30 p.m. on Thursdays. Um, we started those last week and they were great. And now we're they, we are continuing them uh, 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 this week and through the end of July. And we have a whole slate of speakers and coaches that are going to be uh, are going to be part of this. Um, as far as the town hall meetings, it's all going to be kind of a roundtable discussions on a singular topic. Like like uh, tonight's uh, topic is diversity and inclusion, which is going to be great. Then we're going to be joined by Brenda Villa and John Abdu from USA Water Polo as well. And then next week is a club administration one. Then we have a master's one. Then we're going to have an NJO's one. And then we're going to have a Southwest Zone Events Committee uh, town hall meeting. So Cool. We'll Do you know who's – Yeah. Do you know who you've invited for Masters? I'm just curious. We're still putting that group together right now. Just wondering. I figured, you know, you got a couple of weeks, so that's cool. I was just curious. Yeah, that's that's a lot of content. I make fun of Joe offline because uh, he's burning the candle at both ends based on my perception of things. And um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming up. And, uh, and even if it's not for the next couple months, Joe, it's still uh, a chock full in the, la- in the next uh, six weeks or so. I, I have a feeling that at the end of July, we might have to take another Zoom break after this little section stuff. You think? Yeah. You think. yeah. I have a suspicion that would be true, too. Um, although you were part of another, I don't know, conference of some kind yesterday, you were speaking to um, states or the Midwest zone, basically, but that encompassed all the Midwest zone states. And then also, uh, I, I guess, uh, Tennessee and Georgia joined the call, too. What was covered in that meeting? So the like uh, kind of Miguel, who is the Southwest Zone, well, no, I'm sorry, the Midwest Zone chair. He asked me to come on the call, okay. um, and they have a call probably once a month, um, and it's just their zone board that yeah that gets together. They asked me to, okay. to come because uh, about a month ago I talked to, to Matt Latham and Paul Split, who who uh, Matt is a kind of coach of club and is involved in, in high school water polo in Michigan, and Paul Split is involved in Ohio and Cincinnati, and um, and we had a good discussion about high school growth. But so how did y'all grow the sport of you know, like in Texas? And we just went over the, the like the basics. The word kind of spread around a little bit. And they and and Miguel asked me to come on and just kind of go over and just give a brief little recap of that. And there was some representatives from Tennessee and yeah and, and Georgia. The biggest thing it's you know it's it's not a slow process or I mean it's not a fast process. It's you, know, you have to get everybody on board. You have to, to make it as easy as possible to play and lower that barrier to entry. You have to find out what, kind of what the rules and regulations are for your um, uh, state association. And then you got to find it in with that state association, whether it's a coaches association, a referee association. So there's lots of avenues for growth. And we just kind of went over that last night. The Midwest is super interesting to me in that regard. Um, so Texas is pretty – I mean obviously geographically is really big, and I think that uh, – you know, I think people feel like the growth of high school water polo in Texas is was kind of luck or something. I'm not I'm, – you know, I, I don't have a good sense of that. Um, but it is it is geographically, uh, you know, situated, whereas like in – you know, Illinois water polo is Chicago. 
Like there's very little going on outside the the city of Chicago or, or the the suburbs of Chicago as well. And that's not a critique at all. It's just that it's difficult to expand it beyond that suburban area and, or that urban and suburban area. And the same is true in Missouri. It's St. Louis. You know, it's it's everybody in St. Louis. So I know that they expanded into Kansas City, I think, a little bit. Um, I'm not sure whether that was sustained. But it's hard work, man. you got to find people on the ground who are willing to just start essentially from scratch. Well, I mean, yes, you have to find that. But it's also both Illinois and Missouri. They are already state-sanctioned sports. So. Right. You have the state association that's going to put in parameters as far as growth that might hinder growth a little bit. It, it's it's just really finding it's like, you know, you're not going to find a like a one high school in Columbus or one high school in Kansas City to start a water polo. You need to find a group of them, a school district. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And um, and it might be a multi to your process where they have to do a little fundraising or you start with a club of, of a bunch of 10 and 12 year olds that eventually get to high school and they're okay, mom right. and dad, they want to play high school. So it's, I mean, it's, there's a lot of avenues kind of, kind of for growth. You just got to be all on the, on the same page and rowing in the, uh, and rowing the boat in the same direction. In general, right. There's always going to be some differences, but yes, in general, you have to have the same aim, which is to simply increase the number of available opportunities, whether that's club or at high school. So yeah, and, and, absolutely. And they're doing some great things up, like up in the Midwest zone. They're like their biggest challenge right now is they all do have different high school water polo seasons. Yeah. Yep, so it's, it's difficult mess. to create a calendar, you know, uh, like a year round calendar for the 18th and yeah, and 16th here we do have one high school season and then we can create a calendar for nine months for all the other age groups, right. you know, and the, and the only age group that goes kind of year round are the 14s and 12s. So yeah. it's, I mean, there's, there's different challenges everywhere, but you know, there's a lot of this, a lot of what works here can work at in, in, yeah, in other places. And that's part of what I do as well as I do. I do talk to people outside of Texas about, you know, kind of, how they can grow in their area and the same thing I, I, I do here. So, well, speaking of uh, real life, um, I just got disconnected from the internet. So you, Joe, you missed out on a, a lot of really important things that I was saying while I was disconnected. So I'm, I might have to circle back with you and just share with them all, all those deep thoughts next week. Uh, next week. Yeah. Next week. So Offline. let's, so uh, let's talk about our interview a little bit. Yeah. So you, we, we mentioned that the uh, town hall tonight on diversity um, and, uh, the special guest is the great, the great uh, Brenda Villa, She's a, a several-time Olympian Player of the Year. Um, she has been, uh, a, I don't know, assigned, asked to be co-chair of the USA Water Polo Racial Equity and Reform Task Force. So that's going to be part of the town hall tonight, but then luckily we're going to have an interview with her uh, as well, and we will share that with you next. All of TX Water Polo is brought to you advertising-free, and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to txwaterpolo.com forward slash give so we can keep covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. Hi, this is Natalie Benson, and you are listening to a podcast about water polo in Texas. Brenda Villa was named Female Water Polo Player of the Decade for 2000 through 2009 by FINA Aquatics World Magazine. She won four Olympic medals in water polo. And uh, I didn't know this, but she's the leading goal, ski, goal scorer in Olympic water polo history with 31. Um, recently, she became co-chair of the USA Water Polo Racial Equity and Reform Task Force. She hopped off a town hall meeting 
a discussion on diversity yesterday, which is already posted at TX Water Polo. But here she is with us. Brenda, thanks for your time. Yes, of course. Anytime I get a chance to talk about water polo, I'm all in. You're a busy woman, so how are you hanging in there with, uh, you've got kids, you've got COVID, you've got clubs, you've got high school responsibilities. What's going on in in, uh, in your neck of the woods? You know, I coach at a school, Castilla School, which is an all-girls school, 6 to 12, but I also have other responsibilities at that school. So um, part of my job is working well, I guess my title is equity and education coordinator. So there's a lot just going on right now with the events um, in the world and the reckoning of um, just systems that are in place that are not you know, equal for all. So we want to strive for equity. So it is interesting for me to be on this task force for USA Water Polo and also doing similar work in the educational space. So for right now, it's something that I'm thinking about 24-7 and having the kiddos around all day um, is, is a challenge. But I think for, for our family, it's the silver lining of being, being home during COVID. I get to spend more time with my almost four-year-old and my nine-month-old. So you know, it's hectic some days, but I think water polo training um, allowed me to be okay in this in this flux, in this um, area of, of, of discomfort. I know that all too well, like in many long, tough swim sets or, you know, traveling um, around the world, not always with the best accommodations. Oh, really? Everybody thinks that you put, stayed in the Ritz when you guys went traveling. You know? <laughs> we wish. Sometimes it's five-hour bus rides after, you know, 12-hour <laughs> flight and practice it, you know, right when we get to the hotel. So we're, you know, good training for for the, this these times that are just uncertain. Well, I wonder if you might just go into your you're at Castileja. It's a private school in the Bay Area, um, obviously, and uh, it, uh by the way, parenthetically, it was the school that we wanted our daughter to go to if we'd stayed. But um, what is the plan for the fall, as far as you know, for your students? You know, we had a town hall this past week, and it seems as though um, they have various plans. And one of those, if everything stays accordingly right with the latest update, from Santa Clara County, um, I think our school could accommodate everyone on campus socially distant. Okay. And I think because of the small numbers, it's a single gender school and the space, um, it is it is a potential um, scenario. Um, I, I hesitate to say exactly what we're doing right because there's still, you know, we don't know what we don't know. Right. Um, especially with this 4th of July weekend coming up. But um, I'm, I'm hopeful that part of, of that means that the students are on campus because it is important to to have that connection outside of, you know, your computer. Right. And you have a pool on campus. Are you able to use it at all for, for training or is it just not the case yet? At the moment, 
Um, we are not using it. Um, we don't really do much over the summer. Um, coincidentally, last year I started doing more with my high school girls over the summer and was hoping to continue that this year. But for now, we're, we're not in there. We're hoping to propose um, something so that our school could approve um, the use of the pool. I think that most of the my girls or my students, my athletes, um, play for the two Stanford club or Mayfield. But I also know there's some that don't play clubs. So for me, it's it's an equity issue. It's you know, we have this pool, we ran practices last summer, could we run it again for the students that are, are not playing club, or maybe their parents have decided, you know, half of this, this season's going to be on Zoom, and, you know, let's do something else instead. Um, yeah. So I'm hoping we can get into the pool. Yeah, I'm, uh, I talk to Joe about this all the time. He has uh, learned that I'm a little bit of a pessimist about all this. Um, You know, we've been very fortunate locally in that our pool is allowing us to practice with no contact, of course, but uh, I'm not sure how long that's going to last. So I'm curious about what's going on throughout the whole country. So I I was curious about what's going on with your school. You know, there are other schools in the Bay, other independent schools that are in the pool. Um, I just came from a swim um, earlier today. So there are pools that are allowing you to reserve a lane and get in there, no contact, no ball. Um, so I'm hoping that at least with that, we can swim. I know we, we missed our, the swim season at the end of the school year. So right. it really has been, um, I mean, a lot of months, what, 100 days being out of the water for some. And and that's just unheard of. It's, you yeah. know, as aquatic, aquatic people, it's it's not looking good. Let's get to the heart of the conversation because I'm going to cite the name of this uh, task force again so that everybody knows. It's you've been asked to co-chair the Racial Equity and Reform Task Force. I don't think there would be any surprise whatsoever about why this is taking place and why they chose you for, you know, to be blunt. But uh, so yesterday you were on a town hall uh, featuring Texas coaches, referees, administrators, and I wonder, first of all, maybe if you could just give us the big beats about what are your plans for the task force, even though it's pretty early days. You know, we're reviewing our, our systems, what's in place, our policies. Um, you know, we need to make sure that our membership is is feeling heard, feeling included. Um and I don't know that that is happening at, at all levels at the moment. And with all the stories that, that we heard yesterday, um, we're missing something. There are some loopholes, right? So we want to make sure that, you know, our overall goals are like zero tolerance. We want to make sure that at every level of USA Water Pole, um, that everyone's free from racism and bias. And we want these safeguard accountabilities in place. Like where do I direct one of my athletes to go to if they are being discriminated against or um, do they tell a referee? Like these are things that, that no one knows where to go to. Um, Who do you talk to? What is a safe space for that? So that's one of our goals. Another goal is, is access. We want to make sure that we are intentional about increasing participation among communities of color. Um, We need to establish partnerships. We need to expand access to facilities. 
um, these are things that, especially for me, that have been on my mind um, forever. I mean, how could it not be from coming from commerce and access was the reason why I was able to attend Stanford, you know, go to four Olympic games. So that's an area that is always been a passion of mine. Another area is just education. How can we provide our membership with the educational tools to make, you know, our sport inclusive, everyone's respectful, and it's fair, especially for the members of color that do not feel that way. And then the other um, overall goal is resources. How do we expand our resources to promote, um, like, tolerance and accessibility within our sport? So these are just four big goals that we have in mind. We're in the process of completing the team for the task force. And of course, there have been many, many um, hands that have been raised and every, like people wanting to help in different um, in ways. So we're always like, yes, let us know. What can you do? What, you know, what skills can you bring? Like we're gonna need like data. We're gonna need um, local partners in different parts of the US. So it's going to be, you know, a big team effort. So we will need people that are not necessarily on the task force still collaborating with us. So, yeah, we're in the beginning stages and we're hoping to get moving quickly. And we know that we're trying to make these changes for the long haul and some might take a little longer than others. I'm I'm curious about that. Uh, you're you know filling out your staff essentially. Are those volunteer positions? They're paid positions by by a foundation or by USA Water Polo. Um, there it's it's volunteer. It's volunteer. I okay. mean, I'm an athlete rep on the on the board of USA Water Polo, and John Abdu works for USA Water Polo. So it was one of these things where it's like, does he have the bandwidth? Um, can we do this? And it's important enough to us where we want to do this. Like, let's make this, this happen. It's important and it's needed. Okay. Um, yesterday's town hall was pretty well attended. I'm assuming that's the kind, I mean, that that's sort of like the spearhead to your effort here. You just described the way that you want to educate and communicate and so on. I'm assuming that was sort of on your agenda. You know, interesting that I reached out to Joe um, to talk about water policy, you know, how he was doing and just, um, he mentioned the town hall and the topic of the town hall and Abdu and I have been talking about, you know, how we would start this and we have thought of, we should do town halls like in each zone or how do we get, how do we give members, the members of USA Waterpoint an opportunity to talk to us. Right. And in this time of, of COVID and zoom, it, it is easier to be everywhere <laughs> um, really is. with you know, a low cost. Granted, some of these conversations, I would rather them be in person, but, you know, we'll, we'll make the most out of it. So when Joe mentioned that the topic was DNI, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, hey, can we just join? We just we want to listen. We want to hear what's going on in Texas and see if we can support it anyway. So it was just a natural, um, almost like a pilot, right, to what we hope to do to start off um, this task force. Yeah, plus probably a good learning experience in the sense that it was the first one, as we said, and uh, there's plenty of time to do others as well. So, yeah, I learned a ton yesterday. I'm assuming you did, too. Yes. 
Um, I wanted to go – so uh, a couple things. One is that USA Water Polo released its uh, diversity in water polo video series in 2018, one of which uh, – one of the features was commerce, and we can – I want to get back to that. But was that a precursor to this task force, or – so were there plans in the works before, you know, current events to create it, or, or is this a new manifestation? I mean, it's always been on the mind of USA Water Polo to increase access and to, like, how do we make our sport more diverse? You know, it's it's always it's always been there. Like, John and I always say, like, we've been talking about this for years, and he's like decades. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, John, now everyone knows our age, but like, really, it has been on the mind. So I don't think that that video series, I mean, it just now the timing of it looks like it was planned but it, it wasn't but I will say that this has been on the mind of USA water polo like how do we promote our sport how do we um, welcome new members so it was a great idea two years ago to showcase um, our diversity in right. these great videos that they put together yeah, and uh, I remember these conversations taking place in the 80s in Southern California. So, uh, so yeah, th this has been around for a long time. I was just wondering about the sort of administration of it from USA Water Polo's uh, perspective. Yesterday on the Zoom call, there were several who said that they held you out as a role model, and why wouldn't they? And I'm curious about what does providing role models to different communities, what what, what role does that play in your efforts and how do you feel about playing that role yourself? It's huge. It's so important. I mean, representation matters. Um, seeing yourself um, is important. I mean, I think back to some of the role models I had and I'm like, what well, I, I loved Michael Jordan, you know, before Kobe came to the Lakers, right? So it was like one of those things that's like I look up to these male athletes and, and why? Because there weren't that many female athletes that were visible. And then for female athletes, then you even go to like female Latina athletes that were visible. And I remember one athlete that I was always um like I always had my eye on was Lisa Fernandez, who was a softball pitcher. Went to UCLA, played on I believe a few Olympic teams and she was somebody that was like, Oh my God, like, look at her. She looks like me. And she's at this level too. And right. back then I feel like I didn't see that many. So for me, it, it's really important to have role models and how can little girls dream if they don't see themselves? I mean, how do they, I mean, everyone dreams, right. But how do you make those dreams like big dreams? Um, if, you don't see them at that high level. Like you just think it's not possible or do you not even dream about it? Right. Then you might shift your focus. You're like, ah, oh, no one's done it before. Maybe I don't want to do that. And then maybe you change and you switch to another sport, but no, it's, it needs to, we need more of it. And, and I say, <laughs> if not me, who, and I don't mean to sound egotistical in any way, but I know that there's, not that many so I want to remain visible so that I can inspire and I know that I was very fortunate um, to be a part of the, the commerce program and the legacy there and what the city um, invest in their youth so I'm always looking to pay it forward 
Well, you just answered a question, too, because I w- I'm curious about how you feel personally about filling that role. Um, it sounds to me like you're more than willing to do it, but I is would you rather not in the sense that you would rather there not be a need for something like that? I guess that's my dream now, right? Yeah. Um, to work towards me not needing to be visible anymore. And right. my, and I joke with, with friends and, and colleagues or people that have kids in the game and, you know, they still bring up my name and I'm like, I'm sorry guys. Like <laughs> you keep hearing about me, but I'm not going anywhere until um, there is so many other Brenda Villas, other Patty Cardenas that you're like, Oh yeah, Brenda. Okay. And here's, you know, 10 other, um Latina athletes that you can name that maybe have made um like a national team or an Olympic team you know we have a lot especially from commerce that have made it to the collegiate level which is great so it's like how do we increase those numbers and could it be you know outside of commerce and I know there are others but it's like we need more well, let's talk about that. So commerce, uh, first of all, we should probably step back and maybe you could describe your own experience uh, coming up through that that uh, historic program. It's been historically successful, that's for sure. Um, and then we can talk a little bit maybe about how that model might fit elsewhere. But first of all, just share with people who might not know about what it is that's so special about that program. So commerce in 19, I believe, early 1970s, the city decided to fully fund, I I guess their parks and rec department, right? So any youth sports in the city um, were available to everyone at a low cost or, or, or no cost. So that really was a game changer for the families in that community that were predominantly Latinx, Hispanic, and um, lower income. So here you have a city that says um, we know that our families are working hard we know that both parents um, are working all day so can we invest in our parks and rec so that our kids in our community are at the parks playing sports and not tempted to get into um, distractions that are that are around so it just creates created this culture of kids always being at the park or playing like I remember playing softball basketball volleyball you name it the city is only has I believe 13,000 residents it's it's pretty small but it has four parks so growing up you you know you were identified by which park you played your sport at and they had like inner inner park squads and there was all-star teams where they picked the best teams and then go play other cities so it was really a robust um sports program for youth that just kept you busy and then on top of all that you had aquatics which was slightly different um where everyone could take swim lessons at a low cost and if you wanted to join the team you joined the team and the swim team and the water polo team um were under one umbrella where you just you did both right there wasn't this competition of oh you know it's the swim team has this pool time it was like it was split evenly and you swam two days you played two days and everyone just did both so it it was it just worked out really well (laughs) how do you think that decision came about because that is not a traditional model in the sense that a pool is built an aquatics program probably begins the and 
you know, you could imagine that the most ex- experience it so that the swim team gets priority. And maybe, and maybe this is an exceptional case, but was that part of the decision from the beginning? Was that there was going to be sort of equally um, played? As far as I know, and I know that, um, I mean, Santa Anita, who if you don't know that name in water polo, you should. Um, you should. She was a pioneer at, at Commerce. So she was an Olympic swimmer who um, swam for the city and then ended up working for the city. And she wanted um, like her water, her swimmers to be able to do like, uh, what do you like? Not cross training, but a different type of training to keep them in the water and not have them mm-hmm. burn out. So right. I, I'm not sure if it started with her and then it was just this like genius idea and it just kind of stuck. And because the city doesn't have an interest in the sense of which of the two programs is more successful, it, <laughs> it would be easy for them to just say you have to do, you have to split the time. Right. Well, I never knew that. I mean, I grew up in Long Beach. We played commerce all the time. Um, and But at Beach Swim Club, it was, you know, this was the swim season. This was the water polo season. It was, it was, there was no combination during the week. So that is, that is fascinating and actually darn unique i think in in the country where you're you're split equitably from the start yes and i mean i i'm not gonna say i don't know if in the last um however it has shifted i know that water polo has been trying to get more time in so i don't know if it's like outside of swimming hours but like there's a protected time time slots like throughout the week where they collaborate equally i don't know if what else they've added they get creative right, with knowing that they need to, to play more um, to stay competitive. Well, I suspect there's probably not an area in the country that doesn't experience competition between the swim and the water polo side of aquatics. So that doesn't surprise me. What I'm, I wanted to go back very quickly. You implied at least that the effort for the creation of the program was semi-grassroots. It was based on on families who wanted their kids to have something to do. Do I have that right? Did the city also recognize that need from the start? What is your I recollection? I recognized that first. So I think the city was just, I mean, this pool, the state of the art pool was built in like 19, in the 1960s. I know that the water pool team, because Bobby created a shirt that says established 1971. So that, that year sticks in my head. But, um, there was this great facility that was built in this city. And I mean, commerce has a lot of business in it. Right. And a lot, not a lot of residents. So the revenue, the tax revenue from like the business allows the city to, to make decisions like investing so much in parks and recs and youth sports. So, I mean, it is real kudos to the city council or whoever was in charge back in the mid sixties. Right. That really, envisioned this this like city where if you helped out parents like then you would have this great like tight-knit community that you know was focused on on family well 
that's also super interesting because I didn't think about the fact that commerce is a very industrial city um, and that that is the that's the foundation of the tax base that's required to probably or or raising bonds, whatever it takes to build a facility. So that was really where this came from, was the fact that uh, that the city is largely industrial and, and maybe less residential than you might expect. Yeah, and I think that's why it's like the anomaly, right? Like people are like, oh, commerce, it could be so easily done. And I'm like, no, it, it can't be, unfortunately. But why can't we get creative? Why can't we think outside the box? Or why can't we partner with with cities and say, hey, like this is going to help you. Um, and that's what we're kind of in the process right now with um, like the task force or like other um, members that want to see a change um, that are not necessarily directly involved in the task force. You know, they want to know, like, how do we convince other cities to invest more in this when we know that it produces like higher, you know, college graduation rates or high school graduation rates or whatever, you know, the data is going to tell us. Right. So, I mean, it is an interesting and unique place, but I do think that we could um, get a lot of information from from the commerce model to help us create other models for other cities or other partnerships, right? It's not always city, it could be like YMCA's or it could be, I mean, I don't know. There's hopefully um, the listeners to your podcast, right? Somebody might have an idea and it's like, yes, like we need to get creative and we need to be able to share those ideas. But I think there might be some big themes that you might want to suggest that, you know, the success of your, your program at Commerce when you were there was based on a few things. One was you're looking for a place um, for kids to go. Um, and yeah. why wouldn't mm -hmm. a community want that? You, you're doing so in order, I would think, to to. Uh, achieve those things that you're talking about, higher graduation rates, th those kinds of things. So these kinds of themes, it seems to me, are the ones that you're able to translate well, almost regardless of geography. And you, you let me know if that's not uh, that's not what you think. No, I mean, you're essentially you're right. I think like sports and city, and it's it's interesting. It makes me think about in coming back from the Beijing Olympics, right? There was two commerce girls on that silver winning team. And there was actually a boxer, two boxers, brothers, one competed for Mexico, one competed for, for commerce. And you think of this small city that has 13,000 residents and produces four Olympians. Like, are you kidding? Like what's in the water, right? So <laughs> I think that... <laughs> It's, it's just showing that if you are going to invest in programming for young kids, there are many things that can come out of that, right? Like whether it's Olympians or it is higher high school graduation rates, um, engagement in, in your city. Um, like why wouldn't any city want that? You're right. It's not just um, these lower income communities. Or, or is it? Because then if you have the means are you going outside of your city to play on an all-star team right yeah so when i and i brought this up because i remember coming home they had this like tagline like homegrown heroes and everyone was like well isn't everyone a homegrown hero and i'm like <laughs> no actually no you are not like 
this is the city is you know very proud of of this and they should be and it doesn't go for everyone did you play in the city you grew up like you grew up in no like we did right and everyone on our club team you know essentially lives in that city unless your grandfather and if your grandparents you know live there but like it's yeah so i mean it would be this would help every community but I do think that it might be more helpful in communities with less resources. I would think so too. I don't think there's any, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, because, well, let's just, let's just talk about that place geographically. Like you and I both are close to Menlo Atherton and to, uh, and to the Menlo school and to yeah. Saint, um, Sacred Heart. You know, I think it's fair to say that they're not in need of funding as much as other places would be. So I don't think there's any problem with the idea of taking a model or at least these big themes that we're talking about and um, and trying to help other areas to do that. And I sort of want to get into that now so that in the terms of Texas itself. So you visited the Rio Grande Valley, I think a couple years ago, or maybe it was 2017. Time is really flying. Um, and uh, down there, you met one of my favorite people in Texas water polo is Jonathan Landero, who has uh, done a great job of growing aquatics overall. I don't particularly care about the swimming part, I'll be honest. But the, the water polo <laughs> has been fantastic. Um, you went down there. And what Joe and I will talk about often is, you know, taking the commerce model and applying it elsewhere. And we just got done talking about that. But what is it that you observed when you were there and maybe you had some ideas about what the things that they're doing right, the things that they might improve upon? Well, the one thing that struck me was the pool that I was at, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this, the pool belongs to the school district and there's four different high schools that get um, allotted pool time. Correct. So in some ways, it reminds me of commerce, right? Like you have these four high schools that have to practice at this one pool. So imagine how many teams you could create with that. Right. So I think it's, it's a special model that I think with, with support and resources, um, I'm excited and like curious to see where it could go. Um, you know, in talking to Jonathan, I think their biggest challenge, and I think this is a challenge for a lot of of um, isolated club teams, right, is how do you get the competition? And yeah. how do, do you always have to travel? And if you always have to travel, then it's more expensive for you. And then is that, you know, is that possible? So in speaking to him, it's like, well, can we get creative about ideas of inviting people down to you so you don't have to travel but you still get the games right. so like how do we make that happen so i think part of this task force right will be how do we partner with clubs or with areas or with high schools or and, and kind of brainstorm with them and it's like look these models you know this model the commerce model or the chicago park model or the chicago park district model or uh, this club team in florida like they all made it work this way so can we take a little bit of each program and make it work for you? Because every program is so different. And like, I can't say that I know that community well enough to tell you exactly what will work. But I do think that getting more games keeps kids more, I, it keeps them 
interested longer. And it also creates this, this energy, right? And this place where like parents and family, it becomes like a family affair, like, oh, there's this tournament, let's go and oh, let's bring your cousin and, you know, and it just exposes more people to our game. Well, and you just said it, like that you're, it's a community and that's, that was a sense. I've never been down there, so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to visiting it. Um, but you said it, it's a community and that's a theme that we just talked about, uh, that, that yes. that's a uh, common with commerce. And so I, I'm curious about maybe that is one of the key ingredients, at least in, in the kind of model that you and I, I think are talking about. Yeah. And, and is it, and then that makes me think, and can you build this type of community that that I was used to growing up is that possible in these not all-star teams I won't say that but these bigger club teams where you have maybe 10 or 15 different cities represented under one banner well you don't um, have to call them all-star teams but I will because that is what they are <laughs> You can be diplomatic, but that's exactly what they are. You know, you talk a lot about Stanford Club, and I know you have extremely tight ties with that university, and why wouldn't you? But, oh boy, if if people knew how people, how these kids sort of go from one club to another, depending on tournaments and stuff, you know, it's not, there's nothing illegal about it, but uh, they don't have that same sense of community. They have a sense of community, but not the same kind. And then it just... It, I mean, then you, well, and then you just talk about another area, right? Like pool space access, like how many pools are there? So if like one team has the pools, like how do you, like, how do we make it all work so that right. you create more teams or more competition? And if they're smaller teams, is it easier to partner with and, you know, make it, can we make it more inclusive that way? Because then, you know, the coach, I have all 20 of you in front of me. I know you all really well. So we could have these uncomfortable conversations if they come up. We can address things that come up. Um, and is it harder at a bigger club? Or, you know, the administrator and everyone. Yeah, I mean, my club has never really been more than what the Commerce Club. I mean, total swimmers and water like probably a hundred kids and that's like swim team men's water pool boys and girls water pool so i've never been a part of a club team that has been really big so i wouldn't know another model you know as somebody who played against commerce back in the day that doesn't even sound right in the sense that you guys were everywhere, like every tournament, <laughs> and still are. I mean, your presence is very well known at JOs, big tournaments like that, and you just have tons of teams. So, I mean, from a distance, it looks like there's 10,000 kids as a part of that program. But I'm, 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 I'm fascinated to know that it wasn't quite that big. No, I wish. I remember at JOs, I'd have to play, you know, three finals because we didn't have. <laughs> enough people <laughs> exactly exactly well and you mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation patty cardenas who was your teammate on the 08 team uh, in beijing i want to go back and talk about that and hopefully be a little honest about what's going on so 9-8 final silver medal to the dutch i was writing about this team at the time it was really really got uh, sort of entered into the writing fray with total water polo and i think it's fair to say that that was a surprise ending that the usa was favored in that game by by at least american observers maybe not european observers but 
I'm wondering what your recollections are of that final match in particular, because you had a pretty good tournament, obviously. Uh, you got to that spot. Um, but what was it about that match that you might remember the most? Okay. Well, I mean, I will say that I can't believe going into, was it the fourth quarter where we tied? I had the score up earlier and now I don't. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, right. So to be down 5-0 and then to be starting the fourth quarter tied, like I am so angry with myself because for years I did not, like in my head we had failed so bad and I didn't give us credit. Like, yes, people, like teams start off slow, but I mean, how many teams could come back the way we did? And then still have a shot at winning to like the end. Like there was a rebound. And I like, so, you know, I'm upset at myself for the way I reacted after that game. But what I will say is um, we were favored to win. I think people forget that the Dutch have historically been uh, an amazing water pole powerhouse, right? In the 90s, they were the team to beat. Um and who knows, right? Like we beat them twice in Sydney in the semifinal. Um, they were arguably one of the best teams. They didn't. Then they ended up fourth. So like, who knows how long that was with them, right? <laughs> yeah. But you know, we had injuries. Um, I think we just started off slow, and and it happens, and we fought our way back, and we just, you know, couldn't get out of it, and. And, you know, people talk about, like, um, De Bruin, who scored that many goals. And, Seven. you know, could we have, like, shut her down? But then do people say anything when Maggie had seven goals against Hungary to help us? Right. Right? Like, like it, it, it happens. And you could have a game plan around it. You can switch everything and triple team somebody. But, like, you you have a game plan. And that's not to say that person's not going to score ever again right so it just it's interesting and the you know conversations and things that people say I'm just I'm proud of the team and I'm really just sad that I couldn't I wasn't a better captain in that moment at the end to like really bring us together and and reflect on my goodness we how did we fight back like we were not gonna let this slip away um so yeah that's something to go look at, actually, is if I don't know where you can find the footage anymore because the Olympic Channel has taken over all that stuff or, or NBC. But um, that is the truth is like, you, I mean, you know, you put it bluntly. That's and it's true. You came out pretty slowly and then, boom, just roared back. But I heard an anecdote from somebody who I think would know. But you tell me if this is not the case. The third place game beforehand or whichever game was beforehand went into yeah, like double, overtime. triple overtime. Yeah. And so. I, what I understood was that you have these plans for how you're going to warm up, so on and so forth, and they got kind of got a little screwed up. And so, but now the thing is that affects both teams. So was that an an equal factor for both you and the Dutch, or did it have any particular? Uh, was there a difference between the two? You know, yes, it it affected both teams, but who knows if the Dutch prepared for that? Right. We don't know that, right? Like, you know, and hindsight and. And that's a silver lining, like, haha, double pun there. But for London, it helped us. 
Right. Situation. So who knows how the, the Dutch prepared for that? I don't, I don't know that, but I do know that, um, that team compared to like the old four team, we had 10 first time Olympians, right. you know, on the Olympic stage, as much as, you know, you prepare to make it like, it's just plain water polo. You pass, you shoot, you swim, but who knows? Like in that moment, I think because we were favored, maybe that was a factor. Mm. Um, you know, the longer it, you wait to get going, um, it just, it, it could have played a, it could have been, you know, something that affected us. Right. Again in London, right? Like, Right. Well, that's what I was just going to get to, because my understanding, again, from somebody who, th who I think would know, was that that was completely planned out. So there was any any sort of change in plans. You guys were prepared for it. Yeah. But how do you how would we have known that in London if we didn't know that from Beijing? So like precisely. Right. It, it's, yeah. I mean. Yeah, I yeah, one the, <laughs> I'm like, uh <laughs> One of the main learnings, no, that this is what's so fascinating, and and it sort of rolls into it. This is a little bit parallel, but um, go into the difference maybe um, just from the strategic level. Like, what was the difference between the 08 and 12 team? And the first thing is that the the 08 team was young, and but I'm also curious about that thing. Like, you were part of the four Olympic teams, and each time there would be new people on it and but and so from a distance it looks for from me usa women's national team is my favorite team in the world like they're 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 the most interesting and fun team to watch and they just seem monolithic like one person might retire or whatever and someone steps up and it's just don't miss a beat whatsoever so there's a culture involved there as well is that is my perception correct yes i would say that i mean the pipeline runs deep and there is so much talent, and I do believe that, you know, someone retires, someone's injured, someone steps in. Um, yeah. And was that the case also? I mean, obviously it was, but the difference between 08 and 2012, and then they also have you. You've experienced both of these things, and then and you had reflections on the way that you behaved in 08, and I assume that you changed that as well. Yeah, I mean – Let's see. I still think that, well, I mean, you're young, you have experiences, you have training, you have, um, and I just think as the women's Olympic era continues, right, um, the legacy of women's water polo, like all these experiences go with the team. Right. Right. So we didn't have that in 2000, right? Like, oh, my God, last minute last second goal, like even the experience of, of Athens where we, we had so many returners, we were like so experienced, favored to win, we end up with the bronze. But right. are there lessons learned there? Yes. And like Absolutely. Do all the athletes um, hear these stories, know these stories to learn from those experiences. Yes. Like I've had many conversations with Maggie about different things, right? And it's and the the great thing about her is she's always learning. She's always asking questions. Um, and that's something that I'm really grateful for the what the current women's team. It's like they proudly carry the legacy of of everything in this Olympic era with them. And even some of the stories from the non-Olympic era, right? Right. Maggie's coach, Marino Tool, was her age group coach. So 
she yeah. knows stories of even before the Olympic era. So it's really neat to see how all these experiences can hopefully help in, in situations where maybe the team hasn't been in before, but can kind of tap into those. And uh, you're sort of an alumni now. So is it, do you have a relationship with the team still? I, of course you can go on the deck and everybody's going to know who you are. Um, but do you sort of know what's going on with the team as well? Or you have a deeper understanding of it? You know, I will say um, that it's nice to still have like Mal and Maggie on the team, right? Cause that's um, some of us from London's connection still. Um to the current team and also like Adam has done a good job of making sure the alumni are invited are a part of the present so it's it's actually really really nice to to have this culture and have you know what whichever new coach or coaches step in um kind of respect that and want to continue that so we did what did we do oh for for Rio Stanford hosted their like going away event. Um, oh, Roomba to Rio. I can't even remember the slogan for that one. But, you know, they honored the 2000 team. So it was the first time that all of us on that 2000 team were in the same space at the same time. And it was so much fun. So, you know, you know thanks to Stanford Club, but also the national team and USA Waterpool, like it, we made it happen. And I think that's something that's really important. So it's, it's fun to be an alumna and still be part of it you know we were on a zoom call with the team when they postponed the olympics oh that's um, right so there's you know there's a great relationship um some are deeper than others but i hope they know that we're all here and just a phone call away and i and i think they know that well, we can talk about that forever because uh, there's obviously going to be huge disappointment about not being able to go this summer. And then, you know, again, I told you before, I'm a bit of a pessimist. So next summer, too, might be in danger. It's the last thing I even want to contemplate, but that's the case. Um, and you will probably be uh, asked to give some guidance at that point about what they're going to do career-wise and such. So, uh, But thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to talk with you about a, a wide variety of things. Yes, thank you. Um, thank you for for the for having this podcast. For you know, we need more podcasts. We need more stories. We need more water polo talk. And this all will help with like growing our sport and making it an inclusive sport. So thank you for the time you put into this. Sure, we need good podcasts though. So do not count this one <laughs> as one of those. Like the, <laughs> Joe and I talk about that all the time. It's like I'm 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 looking forward to hiring somebody to take my spot. So, uh, but thank you for the compliment. I do appreciate it. And uh, that was Brenda V, a four-time Olympian and maybe the best women's water polo player of all time. Thanks again. Well, that's it. That was Brenda Villa, and uh, we want to thank her very much for spending time with us and uh, talking specifically about Texas. Um, Joe, you're uh, I've heard you've turned into a moving company because <laughs> you, you well, you you you're under contract, but things are, you know, might change, which is fine. But uh, apparently you're all packing up in a big old truck. You're going Beverly Hillbillies. So we are recording this on June. We are recording this on June 30th. Yeah, and I'm driving down with a 26 foot U-Haul uh, tomorrow on July 1st. So there you go. How much so. shrubbery do you think you're going to damage on the way down? I'm, I'm getting the insurance on the truck. 
Yeah, if your car sideswiped on anywhere in the corridor of 35, then uh, you know where the where it's coming from. Yeah, good luck with that. I'll be going slow in the slow. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, moving. What a delight! How fun is that? All right, um, that's it for today. Uh, any anything else we need to uh, in, to mention before we get out of here? Well, happy Fourth of July! Yeah, for everyone, stay safe right. this weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, thank you, and don't forget to. Uh, you get a vote for the best of Texas part two and uh, then the town hall meetings, the Southwest zone town hall meetings are at 6 30 PM on Tuesdays and the coach to coaches are on 12 30 PM on Thursdays. They are recorded and saved and posted at TXWaterPole.com. So please just, uh, if you haven't caught one, please catch one kind of moving forward. And if you want to catch up, there are plenty to catch up with. Yeah. Good stuff. I, uh, I heard from somebody who is fairly high up in the ranks of coaches, coaches, and who said that uh, Texas is really leading the way with all things, you know, social media and educational and so on. So yeah, go check that stuff out. It's actually good stuff. It's not just for people from Texas. But anyway, all right, we're done. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, James. And thanks again to Brenda Villa for taking the time to talk with us, and thank you, of course, for listening and telling a friend about the TX Water Polo Podcast. Find us at TXWaterPolo.com, like Joe said, and you'll be able to listen to the podcast, although uh, I keep getting mixed things, like whether it's uh, better to just go straight to Apple. That's most, most of our listeners are on Apple, which is, uh, you know, good for me in several ways. You can find us on social media, leave comments, give to the cause, and stay up to date with the state of the game in Texas under these strange times. But until next week, so long from Santa Fe. And wear your mask. production of TWP Sports LLC.